with the values question, we all say I have values, I have morals, but then when you, you know, hey, so what are they? Give me three of them. You know, mm. many people haven't really sat down to think about, well, what is it that I value? Every day, life brings its challenges, but being formally incarcerated brings a whole new set of obstacles. Today, Executive Director James Richardson joins the podcast to share how Four Horsemen not only help with employment and important next steps, but also to help people find purpose in life as well. So, let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive James, thanks for uh, coming on today. Hey, I really appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm like really intrigued by what you guys do because I feel like you're trying to lend a hand to people who are maybe in some just, you know, tough circumstances. And well, I just want to hear all about it. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> can you uh can you give us the inside scoop to um, you know, who who four horsemen are and you know what made you want to get started in this sure so uh, the four horsemen is really funny because uh, we started from uh, it was four gentlemen myself included they kind of got together and uh, we were a, a, an interesting lot if if i can say uh, one day i was sitting you know we were eating a, a thanksgiving meal with some family members and was just talking about some things that i wanted to do in life and so what we what we were discussing was how we can you know impact other people's lives and how we can do things for people in the future and uh my brother who was formerly incarcerated you know he was really interested in in working with people that are formerly incarcerated and uh another family member um, was interested in it, and, uh, and the fourth was as well. And so while the other two family members, they are married into my family, we all have different backgrounds. You know, I am a leadership expert, spent 30 years in the military. Uh, my brother spent 30 years in and out of prison. So, you know, that gives him a specific expertise as well. Um, and then the other two, one was a um, high school uh, principal, and the fourth was he worked in behavioral medicine. And so the four of us kind of got together, put our different strengths together, and we came up with what is now known as the four horsemen. And uh, the four horsemen, what we what we try to bring to the table is a different perspective on how to help people that are formerly incarcerated. You know, so that's a, a long way around to just saying that uh, the four horsemen are in the business of rolling our sleeves up and helping out where we can. That's an that's an awesome way to the, how that started the four horsemen name itself because I was gonna I was hoping you're gonna get into how it became called the four horsemen and now I can envision the exact four human horsemen that <laughs> that helped start and you yeah. got a really good di uh, diverse of 
of people in there too, from the uh, actual practical sense to the to the theory based sense too. Where um, you know, like you said, your your brother has that inside experience to where he can talk from experience and and go, okay, well, yeah, that might work in theory, but in actuality, in practice, you know, um, maybe we could tweak things here or there. That's that's um, that's hey, awesome stuff, Daniel. Daniel, I got to tell you, um, you, you just keyed in on something that that's really interesting. The reason why we found our success is because we listened to my brother. You know, my mm. brother, you know, my brother has spent, you know, years being incarcerated um, and his criminality was born of his drug addiction. And so trying to solve the drug addiction without incorporating the the criminality aspect or vice versa never worked right you have to look at a person as a whole person and not just a person who has committed a crime or someone who has a drug addiction or someone who is hard to find employment they're an entire person and listening to my brother give suggestions on how to help entire people in this in this population was mind-numbing i mean we learned so many things and one of the biggest takeaways for us is that there are a lot of organizations out here that mean well, that are doing great things, but they're not helping the people in the way that they want to be helped. And, and we never wanted to be that. And so, you know, whoever loves a person, you know, knocks on the door and says, hello, my name is James. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we wanted, <laughs> so we always wanted to, to discover where the needs were, and then provide those needs. And so we just, we we look at it from a different perspective and looking at it from a person who's been formerly incarcerated and keying in on the things that he needed help with, that's how we got our start. And that's how we actually made our first big strides here in the state of Georgia. Yeah, what, what, what were some of the things that you would learn from your brother, you know, in, in specifics that he, he had said, Hey, you know, when people get released, you know, we're, we're experiencing these, this type of challenge, we can't do this, or we're, you know, a, a lot of times I, I know people going back just because they didn't have X, you know, what were some of the specifics that he was able to kind of give you guys? Oh, wow. Uh, tons. Here, here's a few. So one of the first things that we stopped um, we wanted to have job fairs that people would actually get hired in. And job fairs happen all the time, all around the country. But yeah. typically it's the police department, the fire department, government agencies, you know, different organizations that don't take people that are formerly incarcerated. And it's mandated for people that are on probation and parole to go to these job fairs knowing that there's no jobs for them. But it's mandatory to go there. So oh, one awful. of the first things that we did was, yeah, it's horrible. And you know this, you know, as a person who's formerly incarcerated, you know that there's no job waiting for you, but you're still mandated to go there, oh, right? Geez. And so we wanted to turn that on its air and only invite employers who were willing to hire people that are formerly incarcerated. Hmm. So we'll have a job fair where we might have five or six different employers willing to give people that are formerly incarcerated an opportunity to at least have the interview. And when we have our job fairs, we have the formerly incarcerated and their family members only show up. No one else is invited. So it's that on both sides of the equation, they know what they're getting. 
And so people walk out of there all the time with a job on day one. Oh, that's big awesome. difference. We would have never learned that without my brother. Um, another thing that that we didn't we would not have understood without talking to my brother is once you've been in the system, you have a a, a deep caution from government agencies. And so if there's a government agency that provides jobs, a government agency that provides housing, you're not, you're, you're pretty hesitant to want to go. And so um, we wanted to make sure that um, whether or not it was a government agency or a religious background, um, because the other side of that, as my brother said, that sometimes people want help, but those that are out there helping that are nonprofits, they're affiliated with a, with a church. Hmm. They will only offer help if you go to their services, if you wow. become, you know, um, saved or all of these things. And so yeah. there was always a hook. And so, you know, understandably so, you know, everybody has their own reasons for wanting to help. But oftentimes those who are receiving the help is like, look, I, I just want a place to stay. I don't want to go to church, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so we we said. No government no church affiliation. We're going to do this on our own and do it by establishing relationships with governments and religious organizations because they still have the connections. But when we become that in-between with none of those affiliations, people are more apt to come to us. Yeah, you you guys are um, providing an exclusive like experience to them too. They, they've got to love that, that they're going to a job fair where only people like them are really getting hired. It's jobs that are only like offering for their demographic yes. that maybe have a, a criminal history that most jobs just aren't, um, you know, willing to to do. And that's just, that's so bureaucratic government to send, send the <laughs> formerly incarcerated people to job fairs just to, for them to be able to say, yeah, well, we did send them to a job fair. You know, we do, <laughs> we do have resources. It's kind of like, like getting the emails from your old college alumni saying like, Oh, we do have uh employment resources for you and employment opportunities. Right. And it's like, you're right. <laughs> come on. Yeah. You, you put that in your brochure, but sure. But do you really, I mean, come on. Um, exactly. Exactly. that's, uh, <laughs> that is, um, that is awesome that you're you're providing that because you're you're the only person I could say and group or organization that I know of that actually is so hands on with that. Yeah, I I don't know any other um mm -hmm. I, I I and that model could be so used in every city across America. Those types of job fairs would be so beneficial. I'm gonna give you a secret. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Plain yeah, and yeah. simple. And so what we show is that we care. We show that we see them, we meet them where they are, and we accept them for who they are. And that alone is how we get into the door. And that alone is how we help people grow and they experience the, the character growth and, and all the other things that comes with knowing that you have somebody on your team that's there cheering you on as opposed to having to fight the entire world in order for you to get a scrap, you know? And so um, I, I think that the way that we do it, um, it, it took me a while to figure out how to scale, right? Because 
um, you can't teach a person compassion, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, that, that's something that you either have in you or you don't, um, you, you can't teach a person to have empathy, right? Um, it's something that is not, I can't say take these classes and now you have it, but uh, finding different people that have those character, those character traits to begin, then I can teach them all the other things that it takes to be a good, you know, um, resource provider as a four horseman, you know, work, mm. work in the four horseman workforce. Yeah. And and you guys are out of, um, I know it's Georgia, is it Atlanta? Yeah. So like to say Metro Atlanta, I cover about three different counties out here. And, uh, you know, we're a little bit bigger than an army of one, <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah. Uh, I try to reach people. I try to reach people that I can actually see. Um, we we meet on phone, Zoom, uh, Google Meet, in person. However, a person can really meet is how we typically meet. But uh, the interaction that's face to face is so much better because oh, yeah. you know being um, being a person, yeah, being a person who is um, you know I, I consider myself skilled in communication, you know, and, and uh, being a person that has, you know, some communication uh, background, seeing people in person and being able to really pick up on those social cues is a winner because oftentimes, especially with my population, um, they will say something and mean something totally different. And if you don't pick up on the cue, you might miss the forest for the tree. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you know, in, in person, you're getting the, um, you know, the body language, the tone, the, um, I mean, uh, everything all in one shot. And I, I, um, I asked yeah. to uh, the, the location, especially because I was, I was on your website, I saw some, some, um, some numbers about Georgia in terms of being part of the overall criminal justice system. And I mean, it just, I mean, shocked me. I mean, shocked me because I didn't think, um, I didn't think Georgia as a state had as many people involved in terms of when you're talking parole, probation, incarcerated. Yeah. Could you give us a little bit of insight into kind of um, those those numbers, those stats, and maybe why? And also, it makes sense that your organization is in that location now. Yeah, yeah. We, we are here by design. Uh, when I retired from the Army, um, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit. When I retired from the army, I wanted to go to a place, a state that had the biggest need because I figured that, you know, for a brand new organization that was going to start small, I wanted to, you know, find some quick wins in order just to build. Um, the The need in Georgia is just staggering. There are over half a million people in Georgia that are in the criminal justice system. And in, in, in Oftentimes we think of the criminal justice system as just being who's in jail, who's in prison, right? Um, but there's there's so many other layers, you know, who's in jail, who's in prison, who is currently paroled, who is on probation, who is in, uh, uh, oh gosh, and I and I forgot the names right now, but the the homes, right? And so, who are the different people that are um, transitional centers? Is the word I was looking for. Mm. Who are in transitional centers? Um, all of these people, it it equals it's almost one in twenty Georgians. You know, one wow. in twenty Georgians. You you get a room full of Georgians, 
and you're you're more than likely to have somebody that's either on probation or on parole in that group. Um, and so we can look at it from a number of different ways. Um, we've got low jail and prison rates, right? They're 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 comparable with the rest of America. They're not horrible, right? Um, I think we rank about fourth or so. But the amount of people that get the alternatives to prison, the amount of people that go to transition centers, probation, or parole, that is through the roof. And here's something that amazed me. Georgia has more people that are um, involved with the criminal justice system than not only every state in America, but also every country on the planet Earth. Oh, wow. So it they is are remarkable. the highest. And so the absolute highest. And it's not even close. It's not even close when you compare um, apples and apples. It's, it's just not even close. And so there's a number of things that Georgia's doing great. You know, we had a former um, Governor George, um, Governor Deal. He started a, a fantastic program with creating uh, the Department of Community Supervision. It is one of the things, it's one of the groups I work with, but it's one of the... Uh, things that is really getting after how do we solve this um, recidivism problem that we have in the state of Georgia, right? And recidivism is nothing more than somebody who continually goes back and back to jail and or prison. And uh, seems like it's just a, a, a revolving pipeline of people that go in, they stay in for a little while, get out, stay out for a year or two years, and they get back in. And so he did a lot to try to get after how do we solve that problem? But there's just so much more to be done, you know? And so having other nonprofits, you know, in the state of Georgia that do similar types of work that I do is helpful. Having the government agencies that are really trying, they're they're really trying to do some things um, differently. It's very, very, it's, it's extremely helpful. Um, Georgia Department of Community Supervision is bar, by far one of the best organizations, mm -hmm. government agencies that I've run across with the way that they show how they um they care, how much they care. And it's real interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, and not to, you know, give a plug for them, but I, I work with them often. But uh, you know, the hat that the probation officer and the parole officer has to wear um can sometimes come off a little harsh and some, you know, sometimes be a little brash. And you know, that that comes with working with the populations that you do. But uh, the other half of what they do um, is exactly what the Four Horsemen does. Um, they help um, with providing resources, so whether or not that's a job, housing, um, or health. And that's where we find the commonalities, you know, between what Georgia is doing and what the Four Horsemen is doing, because um, as a government agency, there's some sticking points, right? There's, you know, if someone is telling them something, um, they have a duty to their duty and honor bound to do something about it if yeah, it's to look breaking into the it. law, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, for a company like the Four Horsemen, you know, um, I don't. If you're not breaking the law in my in my sights, I don't have a duty in the way. In while I'm coaching and counseling, I don't have a duty to tell something that's going on yeah yeah and, and so i can i can 
I can stop something from happening. Yeah, I was just gonna say you can be proactive. My ability. Actually. Yeah. Right. I can be a lot more proactive when I'm aware of different things that are going on. I'm trying to to find a, a politically correct way to say, you know, that um being a nonprofit and not being associated with the federal with the local governments, I'm able to just reach people more. I can go to different places and get people to see how they can be better by showing better, I guess is yeah. the best way to say that's, it. That's actually a really good point. I never thought about that, that you actually have that autonomy to be able to make a greater impact on yeah. someone's life than their probation officer. Cause um, you know, that probation officer, if they're, <laughs> if they're kind of giving hints or being like, no, don't do this or do that. I mean, you, we'd call them corrupt, you know, <laughs> but I love that you, right. I love that you, <laughs> I love right. that you have that ability to kind of, uh, take your, you know, have your own judgment and be like, okay, well, I know where this guy, and that actually allows the person you're working with, I guess, to be more honest with you, you know, to be forthcoming and what's going on in their life and and um you know then you're able to then get past the red tape that they put up for the yes. probation officer and so which allows that kind of communication to flow way more directive way more fluent and genuine which obviously yeah. just is um better for everybody <laughs> here's here's an example uh back in december of 2021 one of my clients calls me up on uh new year's eve early in the afternoon and she's crying and she's telling me that she messed up that uh she was suffering from addiction and so we had already um sent her to a uh uh narconon right um and she was already being helped with them but you know that's all on your own right and so she got high and she had to go in to go do her urinalysis with her probation officer. And her probation officer had already told me that if she failed another um, urine, urinalysis, that she was going straight back to prison. Oh, jeez. She knew she was going straight back to prison. Yeah. And so now- Not, not a good way to start from the year. <laughs> a, a non right. So from a nonprofit's perspective, right, I'm, th I'm looking at this young lady. Here's an addict- who, because of her addiction, is going to end up back in jail. So what can I do to, you know, prevent that, right? And so from the government's perspective, here's an addict who violated one of her um, parole um, violations, and because of the violation, she has to go back. So I totally understood the government's perspective. And so here's how I dealt with that. Um, I told her um, that I was going to be with her no matter what, whether or not um, she went back in or not. And then I helped her kind of coach her through what are the things that, what would happen if she reports on herself? What would happen if she ran? What would happen if she just crossed her fingers and, you know, hope for the best? And then what those outcomes would look like at the other side of it, right? I didn't tell her what to do. I let her see for herself what to do by showing her all the different things. Then she said, well, I think I, I need to go tell my pro probation officer what I did. And I told her, I said, well, you know, that's a great idea. If you tell your probation officer, I promise you that I would speak with the probation officer at the beginning of the year and let her know, you know, 
it, you know, everything that just transpired between the conversation with me and what led up to it and all this stuff from my perspective. Fast forward, I get a call back around the third or, or so. And uh, it was the lady who had done the drugs. And she was she told me that the uh, probation officer decided not to violate her because she was so honest. Oh, that's good. That she said that uh, she was giving her another chance. Right. And all she wanted was for me to ensure that she went to the Narcanon at least once a week. That's a win. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah. You know, and so this was December 21, October of 22. So a few months ago, um, she comes to me and she's telling me that she's almost been a year clean. Right. Hmm. You can't make this up. You, you can't make this up. So here's this woman who, because somebody saw the value in her instead of just discarding her and was there with her to kind of work through you know, a government employee couldn't do it that way because they're bound by their oaths. Yeah. They they have to do things a particular way, right? But because I don't have that same issue, they're more free to tell me all kinds of things. I actually often have to say, hey, look, there's some certain yeah. things I don't want. Like. I was going to ask right? you. But yeah, because I mean, I'm, I'm sure. able to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's certain things I don't want to know. I'm, I'm here to coach you. I'm here to mentor um, yeah, but we can. T I can tell you stories all day long about stuff like that. Yeah, former gangbangers that are no longer banging, that are actually um, working. Um, now, mind you, he might be working. I think it's Hardy's right now, but uh, mm -hmm. he's working in Hardy's, raising his daughter, living with his girlfriend. Three years ago, he was one hundred percent gangbanging. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so um, yeah. You know, the four horsemen, um, we we get the wins, I really believe, because we're there. I, I'm straight. No, 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 I don't I don't talk to people sideways, I guess, as the streets like to say. Right. <laughs> um, I come at you directly, you know, and so uh, if I can do it, I'll let you know I'm going to do it. And you know that if I say it's going to happen, you could take that to the bank. And I think that that's what people really appreciate about the four horsemen. No, that's that's a really good way to put it. And I I love your I love your ability to just kind of free flow and use your own judgment how you um how you want to to help people, you know. And I feel like if I was in those shoes, the temptation to like wanna make the better decision for them, I think would be so much for me to handle because I would just I, there's obviously a a best decision, but you're speaking from an independent non-emotional point of view and don't have to deal with the consequences from on their end either so it's like okay here here it is but i <laughs> i feel like i'd be weak <laughs> and just you know <laughs> try to make it form which wouldn't help them in the yeah. long run yeah. really because well, made that decision for herself and it worked out for herself exactly. on being honest so now she has that that positive yes. consequence that if i'm honest and i'm open i'll be treated fairly and I got that extra, I earned that extra chance. You know, she didn't like, yes, you know, yes. slime around and try to, you know, sneak around and, and um, get past mm -hmm. the test. I mean, she earned it in an open fashion and it worked out for her. That's amazing to hear. Absolutely. So um, one of the things that I tell uh, our participants is as a coach, um, I am a certified John Maxwell coach. And as a coach, I have no answers. I have tons of questions, but 
I believe that people already inherently have their own answers, but someone has to be there to kind of coax it out of them, you know, and try to massage it as they're coming to a better understanding. You know, I just had a uh, a phone call this morning from a young lady who um, hasn't committed to our or to our organization yet, but she's at the I need some resources stage. But she shared some things with me, and and she's trying to decide if where she's staying at is the right place, or does she need to go back and go back home? And so I laid it out for her instead of giving her answers. I was like, well. Tell me why you're afraid to do X, right? And tell me what's holding you back from doing Y. And ha just having her say it out loud, she was like, oh, man, Mr. Rich, you, yep. you're really helping me. I was like, no, I want you to be clear. I'm not helping you. I've not told you one thing that you haven't already had in your head. I'm just helping you say it out loud to, to see it clearer. That's all it is. That's what coaching is. Yeah. Yeah, because you're just you're having people just listen to themselves, I guess, openly. If that makes sense. That's it. That's it. That's the secret sauce to being a good coach. <laughs> yeah. And, and really I mean, what you're walking them through, I feel like is the most important part, at least just from my overall, just perspective, I guess. Uh, if somebody gets out, like being formally incarcerated, I feel like the biggest skill is, you know, communication for sure, but conflict resolution, because all these are, I feel like just conflicts and you're giving them kind of a little, I don't know, a plan or uh, putting them in the bird's eye view of their own life to work their way through conflict resolution, which is so, so deep with, I mean, that goes so deep. I did some, um, some research into the psychology behind conflict resolution and really like they broke things down to five different strategies of uh, getting yourself through conflict. And number one was avoiding, avoiding mm -hmm. conflict, just completely going, no, 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 I'm not even going to. And I feel like that is what most people end up doing, especially not even um, being formally incarcerated. Most people with their, their health, going to the gym, whether it's fina financial avoidance, emotional avoidance. We just want to avoid anything that is uh, going to – we just kick it down the road. It's like a rock. We just kind of <laughs> keep kicking it down the road. That's awesome that you provide that because conflict resolution, looking back at my own professional life, just n knowing the strategies behind that makes your life so much better because you make so much better decisions you know, to personalize it a little bit. I mean, you just, and life's all about decisions. It is all about decisions. You're usually where you are in life based off of the choices that you make and you gotta make good ones. And if you don't know how to make good ones, you're not going to make good ones. <laughs> like it's, right. yeah. to put it, to put yeah. it so yeah. simple, like I, I don't want to sound like I'm just like yeah. saying something yeah. so ABC like, but it just, it <laughs> when, when yeah. you, when you break yeah. it down. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was real interesting about, you know, what we do today. Um, and I mentioned it a, a moment ago, um, providing those resources, that's critical because, you know, you want to stop the bleeding, right? You want to stop the pain that someone is going through in their life, whether or not, you know, I need a job, um, I need a house, I need health care. Those are really important things, right? Those are foundational things. But once that those needs are met, then that's really when the four horsemen's 
you know, our acumen. That's that's really when we do what we're here to do. Um, because um, within the realm of coaching, within the realm of mentoring, which is the bread and butter of what we do, you find conflict resolution. So we have lots of training opportunities on conflict resolution. And what, what about conflict resolution will ever work if you don't understand communication, right? And so I call communication a superpower and I break communication down to the very basics, Barney style of what it is. I mean, going, you know, we start off with, you know, communication is a sender, a message and a receiver. And if I'm on send mode and you're on send mode, then the message isn't getting across. I mean, that's how basic we start in the communication class that we cover. Um, but then um, after we get into, you know, other things, um, whether or not it's community integration, the coaching that we provide, um, the workforce readiness and stuff like that. All of those things are all components. Remember I said earlier that um, any organization that just provides one tool for a person, it's not, they're not looking at the whole person, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't deal with um, conflict resolution, but I can find you a job, you're not gonna keep your job if you don't know how to manage your anger, you know, when someone's talking at you in a way that you don't appreciate or feel disrespected, you're not going to understand how to, um, why your boss fired you if you raised your voice at your, at your boss. But, you know, organizations all day long can say, Hey, I found him a job. I found him a job, but it jobs do no good. If you haven't learned the skills on how to keep a job, you know? Yeah. And so communication, conflict resolution, um, career counseling, these are all the kinds of, these are all of the necessary tools so that, you know, people can get better. And one of the cool things about what the Four Horsemen does, and I, this is what I love the most, is I took the exact same training that managers look for in, in their growth as a manager, that um, people who are looking into breaking into, you know, um, higher wage, becoming a higher wage earner, you know, where they get personal development from a coach. I use the exact same tools. I use the exact same language and I do it almost in entirely the exact same way, but I'm targeting the population that I work with, with being formerly incarcerated. And so they are benefiting from world-class training, coaching, and mentoring that people would pay hundreds of dollars per hour for that they get for free. And this is the reason why I think that they have a bigger benefit from it. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a really good inside look into that too, because like you're, you said you're, um, you're former army. And I actually, I know that you're, you definitely have to be a um, former Fort Benning uh, after I heard uh, breaking it down Barney style. I was like, no, that's definitely Fort Benning. Yeah. <laughs> Someplace yeah. in the line that was Fort Benning. <laughs> But that, yeah. <laughs> that that is so yeah. true. That is so true. What was your um? What was your 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 rank in the army too? Because I mean that from if you taking that perspective point of view and and reapplying it to the the demographic. I mean they really are benefiting from um. It's like listening to like Bill Gates talk about finance or something, you know, or computers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I retired out of the army as a command sergeant major. And, and so uh spent a lot of time in a lot of formations all over the world. Spent some time at Benning. Yes, I did. Um, 
but uh my combat my my job was a combat engineer and uh thoroughly enjoyed it i jumped out of planes and blew up things for a living good stuff good stuff and you i i can only imagine how many times you've had to use your own conflict uh resolution strategies to, to, <laughs> to yeah <make> so, <laughs> so i so i tell you what um everything that i ever did in the military prepared me for what i do today um none more so than being a drill sergeant though none mm. more so than being a drill sergeant because having to understand human nature and be able to um figure out how to influence people right and so you know leadership is influence nothing more nothing less um john maxwell says that and uh just being able to figure out how to influence people wherever their mindset is is a skill um the army taught it to me very well as a drill sergeant and being able to meet the, my population in their various states of readiness is, is important to to be able to use that type of skill because certain people are 100% ready they bought into the Kool-Aid they're ready to drink and others are like don't even bother right yeah. and so mm -hmm, yep. being able to convince the don't even bothers you know um to at least get them to sit down and listen and hear it out you know it's uh it can be tough you know um but we never offer anything as mandatory with what we do you know and so uh we typically find people that uh, after they've been with it for about two or three weeks, then they're more inclined to want to stick it all the way out. Um, I've I've become very good at determining whether or not a person is just looking for a resource provider or looking for a change of life. Mm, that's a good way you to know. put it. Um, if you're just looking for resources, I got you. I, I'll take care of your resource needs. I'll point you in the right direction and help you out. Um, but if you're looking at changing how you think, changing, you know, the person who you want to be, if you're looking at that aspect of you and you stick it through, you're going to see big differences. I, I've, you know, I stand on my record with the Four Horsemen. We've got plenty of examples of people um, really making it. I actually have one that uh, recently he applied to become a lineman for Georgia Power and um, looks like it, that's going to go through. So um, awesome. plenty of examples, plenty of examples of that, of success stories. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love hearing it because it, and I mean, it looks like, I mean, with the stats you had chatted about before with, with Atlanta and Georgia, especially, I mean, you definitely have your work cut out for you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, and so um, you know, I ask people how do they define their success, you know? So um, it's really important to define it so that you know it when you have it, right? Yeah, what do most and people how do most people define it? The, the people that you work with? Cuz that's interesting. I I'm sure they they probably never been even been asked that either. Never. Um, asking hearing what they say when I ask them about what are your values? And hearing what they answer when I ask them how do you define success? it's so different than what you would typically expect you know um with the values question we all say i have values i have morals but then when you you know hey so what are they give me three of them you know mm. many people haven't really sat down to think about well what is it that i value you know and that's just everybody you know and so i help them to see that there's a deficit if you don't have real good answers but let's kind of you know, let's pick up some, you know, are, 
do you value your integrity, right? Is, yeah. is being truthful something that's valuable, right? You know, so we kind of start there. But uh, the success, um, some people um, really, most of the people I work with just define success as making it. They, none of, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, there's a thing that I go through where I have people um, uh, imagine themselves 10 years in the future, right? Yeah. And as part of this drill, it's one of the first things that I do for, for me to get an understanding of how we can help. But uh, when I say, okay, hey, life has gone great. You've gotten everything that you wanted in life. 10 years older, what is it? What's your life like now? What do you have? And you never, I, I am always amazed, you know, um, three bedroom house. I want a mansion in the yacht, you know, yeah, <laughs> no yeah. is, I want a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I, I never hear that. You know, <laughs> I never, um, most of the time is look, I just want a good paying job. I want my own business. You know, it's, it's always simple su success definitions. And I, and I really, I, I'm always encouraged by that because we can get that. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Um, kind of hard to make a million if you don't know a millionaire, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah, yeah. hard to make a million if you don't know the first thing to do. But we can get you a good paying job that has growth in it. We can find, you know, a, a, a way for you to purchase a home. And, and you know, so, you know, those aren't, aren't stretches of the imagination. You know, that's, that's just the American story. <laughs> you know, yeah, and we, yeah. we can find your story. You know, and so I'm always encouraged by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love having those 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 chats with people uh, because it is really, really fascinating. You know, where do you see yourself five yeah. years, eight years from now? I um actually and I wrote a um I was in I want to say like seventh grade, I think maybe sixth grade when my teacher had us write, you know, what we're going to be like, what write a letter as to your um I don't know if it was like your 18 or 20 year old self. Um, and uh she was going to mail it to us when we were that age. Um, and I got, <laughs> I, yeah. got, I got my letter out of the blue, which was weird because you're just like, you don't, no one gets letters anymore, you know? And then right. she sends me the letter that I wrote myself and I was a, you know, 20 year old, I think it was 20 year old DEA agent <laughs> who <Yeah. laughs> already married a nurse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you know a, a lot of other things yeah. too but it's, it was funny because you know when you get that letter you realize like oh um well there's a lot of steps involved in there you know i was really yeah. really yeah. optimistic on my uh I, I think i have a decent yeah. work ethic but that's just uh you know you're you're doing way too much in that time to become that but it really does put in the perspective like okay right <laughs> you will absolutely mm -hmm. hit this age that is not going to change it is go you are for de definitively going to hit that age so if you're at this <laughs> age now you yeah. know and kind of just doing yeah. that little um mm -hmm. that staircase it really does open up um open up your eyes, especially how quick time passes. And yeah, have you ever like when you when you ask someone, um, what is it that you, you know, want to see yourself doing or so? Um, or even your goals, what do you value? And they say them out loud. Do you ever like ask them or get into a conversation with them where it is you're now comparing their values that they're saying they value and you're bringing to light kind of the actions they're currently taking to kind of measure out 
like, all right, if you value this, this is what you're doing. So like, you know, to try to even out that, um, you know. Excellent question. And so short answer is yes. Uh, so how I do that is um, I use the mnemonic release, reach and remain, right? What is it about you that you need to release because it's not in line with what you say you want, right? In five years or 10 years. And what is, is it about really you good way that you it. need to reach for? Yeah, you know, and so and so in every single way, it's if you want it, release the bad things that you're doing so that you can get it. If you want it, you know, reach for the good things that are the thing that you say that you want. And then if you want it, what is about you that's current that you need to remain, right? And so the way that I kind of pose what you're discussing is now that we now that we have a good understanding of release, reach, and remain, now you can connect that to what you value. Because if you say you want it and you want it in 12 months and you haven't done anything six months into it, you're still 12 months away, right? Yeah. And so instead of saying I'm a failure, what I get them to see is ask yourself, is this your desire and want? Or is it someone else's? Maybe you thought you wanted it, but you're not doing anything towards it. Maybe you don't really want that, right? So giving yourself an out to say, I'm okay to change my mind, right? And so I, I think that that's a, a really easy way to get people to understand the self-forgiveness, you know, because people tend to not like to start things because if they think that they're going to fail before they even begin, yeah, then yeah. you're not a failure if you never start. Yep. You know, <laughs> you know, and so, so, and, and then that just becomes, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you always fail because you never try. Right. And so my way is ask yourself why you haven't tried. Is it something that you really want? How do you discover what's purposeful in you? I think the, the last time I talked before that, you know, those two best days of your life, you know, the day that you're born and the day that you discover your why. And when you discover your why, why am I here? What is my purpose? How dare you not share your purpose with the rest of the world? Don't hold it back, you know? And so I tried to come at people from that perspective so that they can understand that wherever you are in your head, you're exactly where you're supposed to be so that you can get that lesson so that you can be a better version of yourself tomorrow, right? Um, and it is a better way to get people to be encouraged by who they are, be accepting of who they are, because it's only through acceptance of who you are with all its flaws and all the pockmarks and yeah. whatever and pimples. When you can accept who you are, no matter what, that's step one on the journey towards a better self. And that's what, at the end of the day, that's what the four horsemen are all about is helping you along that journey so that you can be a better version of yourself at the goal or at the finish line. Yeah. That's it's uh, just makes me feel like you're like this life realizer, you know, like you're making them realize yeah. where they are, you know, which is just really, yeah. um, really great because then they can start. You know, they can, they, you're giving them like a, a, an outline. You're making them put their, create their own outline. You know, it's not you like telling yes. them, oh, I do X, Y, and Z, which really, it really is a good insight too, because uh, I feel like everybody needs that. Um, just like everybody kind of needs like a, like, just like a, 
physical doctor, a mental health doctor, and also somebody just to kind of like throw things off that's not, you know, maybe your immediate friends or family that can be truly independent to just solely you and what you want. Cause I feel like most, I feel like most people like don't necessarily ever sit down for five seconds and think, what is it that I want? They kind of just um, keep rolling, rolling, rolling with the punches that they've been getting hit by since they were 10 years old. And they're ne never yeah. necessarily stopping getting off the train and going like, all right, do I want to get back on? Do I want to wait for the next one? And which direction do I actually do I actually want to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's great analogy. That's exactly right. Who has the time to think about thinking? Yeah. Right. You know, no one, no one says, wow, let me take some time to think about what I want to think about. It just doesn't happen. You know, and so, but when you do that, that's where the real reflection comes from. I tell people that every single, you're not going to change your life in a one hour block of instruction. It's not going to happen. In that one hour block of instruction, my job is to help you see all these different opportunities. And then between the time I see you today and the next time we meet, that's where all the growth happens because you're applying what we've discussed, Right. And you're seeing things from a different perspective. You're recognizing how you can uh, manage a conversation to keep the other person from getting angry at you, right? You're able to influence someone into doing something that they didn't think that they were going to do when they first encountered you. And when you start figuring those things out, then you move differently in the world. You know, you walk with your back straight a little bit more because you recognize that you have your own agency. And, you know, I'm a hope dealer. That's that's at the end of the day, I'm here to provide hope for people so that they can see themselves in a different light so that they can be something that they want that they never thought that they could ever be. That's my goal. That's all of the reason why the Four Horsemen exists. And we've got all kinds of, you know, cool ways to attack it and get after it. But at the end of the day, I'm just a hope dealer. That's it, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, I, I feel like a lot of times we think it's, since it's mental and not physical, like it's going to happen overnight. Like you said, it's not going to happen in an hour. And I tend to think that we believe that it's going to take so quick. Like right. it it to me takes the same amount like all right if you want to have that like fit body like a model it's going to take the same amount of time to get your mind right as well if you want to be like in a different career sense or in a different way in, in that realm to where it will take like six seven eight months 12 months of actual hard work with your mind just to get yourself on that track just to start and I'm very guilty of it myself because when I left my corporate job last year, I was like, okay, you know, I'm leaving out on a, you know, last days on a Tuesday. I was like, all right, um, you know, I'll spend this week just doing what I want. I'll go out that weekend. And then Monday morning, boom, I'm starting mm -hmm. fresh. I'm good to go. And I'm off, you know? And I was yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen. It did not yeah. happen. It did mm -hmm, not happen. Mm -hmm. Really the, the first 30 days I was, yeah. I, you know, after I left was really the days that, it took me 30 days just to get out of my job mentally. Yeah. I wasn't even, you know, and I, I was like very uh, stressed because I was trying to implement what I wanted to implement while not even out of my previous setting. And you can't be in two places at once. And that I was like, I kept feeling like a failure because 
I wasn't getting to where I wanted to be, but I wasn't, you know, out of my element yet where I needed to take that time. And it takes so much longer than um, people think to really get on that track. And we always assume it's because like, we don't see it. You know, we see somebody lifting or working out right. for a year, then we see the results and we can't see the mental growth that um, exactly it takes to have that patience and, and, um, you know, talk and talking, you know, I've, I've talked to so many people out loud about my thoughts and my vision and this and that, and the other, which has also helped as well. Just like you kind yeah. of pull out from your, your clients. So talking out loud to yourself, I mean, or to somebody else is really just finally putting it in and stone. So that's awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. This has been uh, a good, a good freaking episode. I got to say, man. <laughs> how, how can, um, how can people find you? Cause uh, I I'd love for people to, um, you know, look into your work and, and follow you guys and, and see what you guys have to uh, offer. Sure. Um, you can find us a number of ways. So um, the easiest way to find us is, is online. Uh, you can email us at fourhorsemanservices.org and that's the number four horsemen and uh, the plural M-E-N, so fourhorsemanservices.org. Uh, or you can just reach out to us by phone. Um, we uh, 404-795-5103. And we are on, on uh, a few of the social media platforms. We are on Twitter at Four Horsemen Serve and on Facebook as Four Horsemen Services. And so, yeah, you can find us in a lot of different places. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, you know, home base in the, in uh, the Atlanta Metro area there too. If you, um, if you guys are listening and in, in that area as well, um, yeah. James, I uh, super appreciate you uh, coming on. I mean, what you, what you do is really great. Cause I mean, the, the people that are formerly incarcerated, I feel like tragically are not like, are not serviced or getting resources right now that they absolutely should be. Um, coming out of the circumstances that they have um, come out of. So, I mean, I really, really thank you for uh, um, what you, what you do, what you're putting together. And I really can't wait to kind of link up down the road again and see, um, see how many more people you've helped and, and see those numbers in Atlanta and, and, and Georgia kind of start to fall a little bit. And hopefully we can get your, what you do, take your model and apply it to different cities because other cities are definitely equally in need of this. Thank you so much. We, we've got some things that are coming down the pike right now that I'm not going to jinx, but uh, if it happens the way that we want, um, we'll be able to provide that that uh, glimpse of how to scale up in different places. So thank you for that. Um, you you just spoke it into existence, and so I, I know that it's going to happen now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I said it out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. So thanks so much for this opportunity. Um, I, if you can't tell, I'm a coach and, and I spend most of my conversations end up coaching people. And so <laughs> thank you very much for allowing me to, to kind of, uh, to share some of the things that we do with the four horsemen. Uh, if you can't tell, I love what I do. I don't work a day in my life because I'm definitely doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so just being able to share that with you and with, with uh, your listeners is, is, is awesome for me. And the opportunity is, is not something that I take for granted. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, James. Believe me. <laughs> I love this. And I feel like the same way as you, you know, you're not working a day like this. I love this stuff. <laughs> 
dope. That's we'll, awesome. Uh, That's awesome. We'll see you down the road, James.